Hey there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose. I'm joined by Jonathan Baker. Hey, everybody. And Anthony Valentine tonight. Hello. Clint couldn't make it, so I invited my coworker and friend, Anthony, to join us. So, Tony, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Because, I mean, you're more into the RPG yeah, side. I started playing role-playing games in 1982. So I was there quite early on with Dungeons & Dragons and then various genres from that point on. I took a brief hiatus when I was working in Seattle, but then started playing again about 20 years ago, or not quite that long, I guess 15 years ago, and have been pretty active since. Excellent. And I know that the big thing is that you've enjoyed RPGs, but board games have not been your thing. No, I have a troubled history with board games going way back to playing Monopoly with my family when I was younger and my my dad and my older brother and sister can be really cutthroat so I just kind of started feeling like I was getting taken advantage of and kind of left out and so I I developed a competitive streak that's not my best feature and so I have a hard time with board games because I get very competitive and I get somewhat frustrated and this is all a little bit limited by a deficiency in tactical reasoning (laughs) so (laughs) yeah so I, I just have not had a, a good uh, good experience, by and large, with uh, with a lot of board games until recently. So you've actually convinced a lot of us in the office to play Dungeons & Dragons twice a week during lunch. Yeah, which I thought we would be lucky to play twice a month, so I was, I was, glad, <laughs> I was glad to hear that people were that interested. I joked about it, right, for... You did. Probably a month, two months leading up to it every now and then. And then one day I just thought, well, why does it have to be a joke? Why can't we actually do this? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's perfectly practical. I mean, obviously there are limitations. Yeah, because like today we were really, I feel like we were really starting to get something going. We really kind of had some momentum going, which has been kind of hard to do within one hour period of time. But if we even get an hour. But then we had to give up the conference room because we have, you know, work stuff we have to actually do. Right. And my inspiration for this trying this out this way was listening to another podcast called Harmontown. And a little ways into it, Dan Harmon, who's the creator of Community and a couple other shows, mentioned that he might want to play Dungeons and Dragons sometime on the podcast. And they had a guy in the audience who had been a longtime dungeon master. And so he brought his materials down there and... Now he's dungeon master to the stars. I mean, he's dungeon he's dungeon mastered for uh, all kinds of people, Greg Proops and other celebrities that have been on there. So, uh, but they play twenty minutes at the end of their podcast. Oh wow! And it seems to work fairly well, although there's a lot of drinking going on and, and a lot of time between <laughs> the sessions. So there is some memory issue and some continuity issues. But he does a nice job of keeping them on track. Very cool. Since you've been able to get us to try out Dungeons and Dragons, because pretty much had David ever played Dungeons and Dragons, I couldn't remember. It seems like he has a a little bit of history with it, but okay. I don't know how much. So besides you and David, everyone else had never had any exposure to actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, to and the point of not, in some cases, not even knowing what to expect. Yeah. I, it's, it's been very fascinating, but you kind of hit me up a couple of weeks ago that you might be interested in, in trying some more of the cooperative board games. And you had mentioned Mice and Mystics and the Pathfinder adventure card game. And I'm not even 100% sure how they came to my attention recently, except to say that I'm, you know, in and out of gaming stores. And so I'm, I'm always perused in a disinterested fashion. But then uh, listening to your podcast and listening to you mention a few times Mice and Mystics and, and other things, I thought, well, give it a try because it appears that there are cooperative board games and not merely competitive ones. Right. So I was interested. So what I was thinking what we would do tonight is kind of just talk about some of our experiences with RPGs kind of what appeals to you in particular about RPGs. Jonathan, you're probably next in line 
in terms of having the second most experience with RPGs, and I am definitely at the lower end. But then I thought we'd also kind of talk about how our experiences with the games we played, playing Mice and Mystics and the Pathfinder game, and kind of get how our perspectives differ coming from different backgrounds, especially since you didn't really care for the competitive aspects, and we don't have as much experience with the role-playing side. Jonathan, what background do you have playing RPGs? Um, I go back to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons back in the day. There was another book when I was in junior high. It was kind of Oriental Adventures. I remember borrowing that from a friend. My family did not approve of role-playing games, so I kind of had to sneak that in the house. Not that I'm saying it was a great thing to do, but I did it. And um, kind of, I was always fascinated with it. We would kind of like mess around with it at school a little bit. And then in high school, um, I met some friends from work and we started really playing some role-playing games fairly regularly. Played that, tried to play some Shadowrun. I tried to get a campaign of that going and we kind of did a little bit. A lot of my campaigns and stuff that we did were making characters and then maybe doing one or two adventures and then not getting too much farther than that. (laughs) Dabbled a little bit in the Marvel superhero role-playing game. And then our most recent thing is what you and I have done with Chance, doing the Supernatural RPG, which was really interesting, I thought. Yeah, and you actually bring up a really interesting point, because there does tend to be a bit of a misconception about what RPGs are, especially like with Dungeons & Dragons. People have this idea that it's something different than what it actually is. Yeah, I mean, if do you mean like the idea that it might be in some way degenerative or occult or i mean i think that's one on one of the more extreme sides but even then you've got the idea of you know nerdy guys down the basement doing nothing with their lives you know pretending to be heroes i think i'm i think i'm keenly aware of what you're talking about on some in some respects if i can just divert for a second and take take you back to 1983 Uh, yeah right it's kind of shocking to me to a certain extent how i can bring up Dungeons and Dragons now and people will say, oh yeah, I played that once or twice. And the a plum that people have just sort of talking about their experience with, with role-playing and Dungeons and Dragons in particular, because when I was in middle school, when I first started out and even into high school, uh, there is no way I would have mentioned the fact that I played Dungeons and Dragons with the normals. Um, <laughs> I just would have been too afraid of their perceptions of what the game might be and what I might be. You know, there was a Tom Hanks movie called Mazes and Monsters, uh, where he is playing a, a person who sort of famously lost his connection to reality in the tunnels, I think, beneath one of the universities in Michigan and took Dungeons and Dragons a little bit too far. And I think there was a concern on on the part of a lot of parents that that was likely to happen. Why weren't these guys going outside and playing? But, you know, the there's a cult imagery that's right on the covers of the books. Uh-huh. So the fact that my mother put a Advanced Dungeons & Dragons player's handbook under my Christmas tree for me one year still kind of blows me away to this day <laughs> because it's got a demonic idol sure. on the front of the book. So, yeah, I've always been kind of sensitive and, and sort of kept it to myself and among friends until the community or the the public perception started to change a little bit recently. Yeah. The thing about RPGs, and again, I've had very limited experience. The first one I've actually ever played formally after watching Will Wheaton play Fiasco. It's It's a very approachable RPG where essentially you're just getting together and telling stories about a crime you're trying to commit and then the wheels completely fall off and you just having to adapt to it. I was just fascinated watching it. So I'm like, well, you know what? This is actually something that looks pretty approachable. I'm going to try it out. My problem was I tried it out with complete non-gamers. They've been pretty open. They were just some of my, my friends that I went to college with. And when I started off, I kind of explained how it worked. And then I jumped into character and they're like, what? 
is going on. They just weren't ready for jumping into this idea of you're going to play this other role and you act that out and you pretty much come together and tell stories, which is why it's really kind of surprising that because I love storytelling in board games, why I haven't gotten more involved in RPGs in general. Mm -hmm. So the fiasco... RPG, and then we did the Supernatural, but again, I really had no interest in Supernatural necessarily, but I was willing to give that a go and see what it was like. Yeah, I wasn't super enthused about the setting, but you know, Chance wanted to do it. He was very excited about it, and it it was very interesting. He did a great job. It he was, did. It was really fantastic. It was just really hard for us to get the group together. We had a pretty large group, actually. We did. I think that was another problem with it, but I did enjoy it. It really started getting interesting right before we stopped doing it. And then finally, we're doing the Dungeons and Dragons during lunch, which I'm I'm enjoying. It's it's a little bit different being at work. I feel I find that I'm being more reserved than I sure. might be outside of work. Yeah, me too. I have a reputation around our, our gaming table, um, my sort of weekly gaming table with my friends, and I call it saying the big words where, you know, you, you're familiar with me from staff meetings where I might go off on a bit of a tear and uh, the raise the the volume and the tenor of my voice and rant a little bit. And I mean, that's quite popular among a lot of my players, but I, I don't feel comfortable doing it here and I don't have to as so much as the GM, but I don't take portrayals of the non-player characters to the same degree I might if I were sitting comfortably in a a more private environment, but I do, you know, sort of strike a balance. Sure. No, you do. You do a really great job. I've really been enjoying it. But have there been any RPGs from your background that you in particular, Tony, that you just really have enjoyed in the past? Like what are the kind of the highlights? I always come back to fantasy role-playing and Dungeons and Dragons is going to be a mainstay. And then among my gamer friends, I'm sort of known as the resident expert in a a game called Rollmaster, which was an alternate fantasy role-playing game that was created in the 80s by some folks who wanted a more realistic and detailed, I guess, experience with with fantasy role-playing. So it's D-percentile based and um, I guess has a reputation among gamers as being a little more complex and a lot more violent i mean in terms of players meeting untimely demise so i always i always go back to to fantasy role play that's my mainstay but i have played a few different superhero role playing games jonathan mentioned marvel superheroes that was a nice one that they came out with in the 80s and i've done a few science fiction ones and uh, but I, I always come back to fantasy yeah, I think the one, when we did the Supernatural game, we had a lot of flexibility to kind of create the character we wanted. And so just because I the film noir side, I instantly wanted to play a detective. And so that's I played a private investigator within that game. And I, that's I think that would be the type of RPG that I would love. I like Arkham Horror where you're kind of playing the investigators and you're trying to uncover this big conspiracy or the horrible things that are looking in the dark. And I just love that aspect. And I know there was a... RPG. It was Deadlands Noir. It was a Kickstarter. And I was so close to actually getting that. I'm like, who am I going to convince to actually play this with me? Mm -hmm. So I think that's been another issue for me in terms of trying to get into the RPG side is just not knowing who I'll actually play with. Right. I mean, on the one hand, we have an advantage that anyone in a reasonably good sized town has, and that's that you can you can put a card on the board down at the game shop and hope that people contact you. But you never know what you're going to get <laughs> in that sense. But I, I always thought that I mean, not always, but since I've been more familiar with with you and your interests, I've always thought that you would enjoy playing Call of Cthulhu mm-hmm. for that very reason of, you know, looking through quiet libraries at night for clues and 
doing the investigation side of it, but I've also commented to you what happens once you yes. reach the culmination of the adventure and people start going insane and dying rapidly. But, uh, but yeah, it, d- it definitely has the noir uh, part that I think you'd really enjoy. And I think if I went into Call of Cthulhu, I think I just fully expect that. I mean, I guess it would be kind of frustrating that you kind of make all that progress <laughs> and then all yeah. of a sudden, well, you just went insane. Right. Or you're dead now. So, so you've been turned to stone and that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, that is so true to the Lovecraftian side of things anyways. I think that perhaps the Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror maybe scales back just the horribleness that's portrayed in the books. But I know that since you actually hit me up about wanting to try some board games, and we've been jokingly saying that, oh, hey, Jonathan, here's another guy who doesn't like board games. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've listened to all the podcasts, but I'm I'm a Jonathan fan because of my troubled past with board games, so I'm on, I'm on his side. <laughs> but I thought what we thought we'd do is maybe just kind of talk about our experiences playing the games. Obviously, Jonathan and I have played Mice and Mystics. When we played Pathfinder, that was my first time, but I thought we'd just kind of talk about kind of our perspectives how much we enjoyed it, what we liked, what we didn't like, and maybe even compare aspects of what was in the board game compared to maybe the RPG elements that you enjoy more. So the first game we tried out was Mice and Mystics. And anybody that's listened to the podcast knows that I have a soft spot for Mice and Mystics. I just love that that universe. And you had mentioned it actually reminded you of like the mice in an art, another RPG. Well, I was referring to what I think would be called the Redwall novels. Oh, that's uh, right. Brian mm-hmm. Jacques, but I have not read any of them. I've just always thought that I would enjoy them if I ever got around to it. Isn't there a, a game that uses... Uh... There is a mouse guard. That's what oh, it is. It's yeah. mouse guard. Yeah, I've never played it but i've seen a little bit of the art and stuff and it looks really neat again i just love the idea that you're playing through a story there's a story out there and there's not a lot of paths you can take and that changes the story but you have choices especially in some of the later chapters and i know within the expansion and downwood tales there's actually a point where the narrative actually splits and i just find that absolutely fascinating so i i, I like the idea of games where you have that story and perhaps you have a way you have some means of influencing it but i think that's something that rpgs perhaps does better than board games in some regards i think so i mean i i don't want to speak too generally or or upset anyone by this point of view but i think that's true mm-hmm. um so in in our game for example there's an unfolding story about you know coming into a town and finding out that there's something that goes bump in the night and then looking into that and discovering what the cause of that is and what that's going to where that's going to take the heroes down the road a little bit now i mean it's very clear in my mystics that there's a narrative going on and and we got to listen to rich summer's recordings mm-hmm. that that do a really nice job of immersing you uh, or of immersion into that story but I, I think it's like you said you know we were down in one chamber and we we fought some centip- a centipede and some other encounters and we did a little bit of searching but it did feel a little bit like we weren't taking time to stop and and construct the story because that was already pretty well established around us and we had some objectives and that what's not objectionable to me but mm-hmm. um, i think rpgs are more fluid that way or can be not everybody's are on this same topic this is this is a painful topic for me <laughs> <laughs> why because because i love mice and mystics but i just don't play it that often it was one of the games i most wanted i mean if you want to describe wanting something for a while uh, I, I got it for Father's Day and waited for it for quite a while after I pre-ordered it and and loved it. But it's not an RPG. I mean, if you no. go into it and you think you're gonna you're getting an RPG, uh, you're gonna be disappointed. And even for a straight dungeon crawler, a la Descent or something like that, it's it's not even to that level because it is 
streamlined and simplified. But it is also wonderful because it is a captivating world that's been created for you. Um, the stories are fascinating, interesting. There's just some point in the game where I get a little bit tired, a little bit bored if, if it goes on too long. I've had a few of those missions have gone on just a little bit too long. But it's a game I love. Yeah, we played the first chapter together. And I was really hoping we'd get a, a better variety of enemies. But unfortunately, we kept fighting uh, cockroaches over and over and over again. When we got some surges, not like I was hoping for a surge where the big bad guys start coming out, but we did have a couple of those where we got a centipede and a spider. But yeah, we <laughs> usually that spider when it comes out, it's just kind of, oh gosh, we're in trouble now. But we actually were able to squish it rather fast with a lucky die roll. Mm-hmm. So. Nice. Well, can I take yeah. the reins for a second, Sean? Absolutely. Because I'm curious. Jonathan's got me curious about something so would it be fair to say that you enjoy playing the pathfinder adventure card game more because it's more of an rpg experience no i would say that's definitely not either that's another one where you can go into it and and be expecting something more than it provides it's for those who haven't played it, I mean, it's just you've got locations set up, you've got decks set up with, with a mixture of monsters and barriers and, and different loot that you can get, basically. And as you go through, there's some kind of a mission you're trying to accomplish, but of the ones I played, they're pretty similar. There's a few of them that have a few little twists and turns, but they're pretty similar and straightforward. You're you're looking for somebody and you got to defeat them. And that's that's basically it. The fun of that game is kind of you know, pushing your luck a little bit and then also seeing what you can accumulate and at the end of the mission kind of decide how to upgrade your character and what new goodies you have. So it doesn't really, it, it appeals to the loot gathering side of role playing, but it doesn't have any, you know, true role playing. You know, the story is very minimal, even though there is a little story you read before if you want to. Why didn't we do that? I thought we did, didn't we? I don't remember. Uh, uh, yeah, we did, because Jabril was going around, and he was a bandit, and he had upgraded his, his stuff from just robbing people to actually murder, I think, and that's why we were after him. How did I completely forget about all this? I don't, I don't remember that at all. I don't know. It was only it was a paragraph. It's not too memorable. Right. And that was my concern with the Pathfinder game, is I felt like I was hoping that there'd be a little bit more of the RPG elements into it. I mean, the idea that you're exploring the different decks. I wish that there were the encounters you had were kind of basic. Oh, you encounter a guard or you encounter an item or oh, here's an enemy. I guess I was hoping for a little bit more flavor perhaps mm-hmm. as you're going through that. But again, with a lot of those games, oftentimes the flavor text is just that, it's optional. And so you can kind of get more mileage out of it if you want to read that stuff. Yeah, I think you know, if you wanted to, you could definitely add, you know, some of yourself into it and and you know, kind of amp it up a little bit and, you know, act like your character or whatever but at its heart it's 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 a board game yeah with some rpg elements would you say that you'd enjoy pathfinder more than mice and mystics no it's quicker i think yeah i mean especially with i mean we play with five players so that was a little bit longish but i feel like usually usually we play three or four and it's pretty quick Mm -hmm. but you will sometimes sit and play solo with the lord of the rings living card game for hours okay so (laughs) Why do you, what it. do you enjoy about that that makes it a much richer experience? I will admit it. I have a problem. Yeah. Um, I, that's a good question. You know, that's a really great question. I That game appeals to a different side, I think. It appeals more. And in some ways, it reminds me of Magic the Gathering. I mean, you're not competing against anybody else. You're competing against the scenario, against the deck. 
But there's that whole feeling of building up your forces, making those tough decisions, because you have to decide if you're going to quest. And then if you send your people out to quest, uh, your heroes and your allies, then they're not going to be ready to defend or attack. And you just have to balance so many different things. There's so many more choices, I think, as opposed to the Pathfinder game where it's like, oh, I'll go to that place. My guy might be able to close that location because he's good at wisdom, for example. Um, and then I'll just go explore and try to run through that deck. Now I've gotten in that game, I'm playing a wizard in my main campaign of that, and I've gotten his deck kind of tuned a little bit to where he can play on his abilities and he can kind of speed through the deck a little bit faster, and I've got some little tricks I can do, and it's really spiced up the game a lot for me, playing uh, Ezra and the wizard and, and trying to do different little tricks to explore those locations faster and do better at that game but still the lord of the rings game is a much more rewarding experience for me okay let me ask you this though yep. i have enjoyed the lord of the rings card game the few times i've played it but i never feel like i'm actually questing i can see that i mean i don't know it's like like i'm gonna assign this person to go on this quest but it's really just i'm gonna assign this card to meet this criteria so we can actually get that card out of the way yep yeah there's the whole balance of you know how much willpower you're sending versus how much threat are you facing and then it's it's that whole kind of I, I and I understand it's not an RPG right. Um, you may and then some people complain it's the least thematic and enjoyable part of the game, dealing with especially locations that come up in the game and just kind of dealing with those. But it's also push your luck because you never know what's going to come up off the deck. You may send less than or you you may waste sending too many people when you really need to keep somebody back to defend. And it's it's I think it's the push your luck element of it that Absolutely. appeals to me. But I think that's a good distinction, that it's not trying to be an RPG. It's not trying to incorporate those elements necessarily. No, I mean, it, they do try to be thematic, and they do really try to follow the, the books. And, and, you know, they have two different lines that you go through, the regular one, and then there's a, the saga expansions that kind of follow the book stories a little more closely. But at the same time, it's definitely not an RPG. I mean, it's I would say it's closer to something like Magic. So you're not using it to scratch that RPG itch. So you mentioned, was it Dungeon or Descent? Yes. Okay, so is, is that in your mind one of the closest ways to get to that RPG experience? Or or what, what would you point to? And that's that? one I don't own. That's one that I've just played with people. What, what did you think, Sean, about when we played Descent? I felt like the whenever you have the kind of like with the Pathfinder game, you how you have your character and it has unique abilities. Mm-hmm. I felt like Descent does a really good job of that. Again, I didn't feel like we were necessarily being that character. I think it maybe did a better job than maybe some of the other games like that. Because again, whenever you're playing Mice and Mystics, for example, maybe I'm playing as Filch. I don't ever really feel like I am Filch. You know what I mean? But whenever we were playing Descent, I kind of felt like I was embodying my character a little bit more, perhaps. I don't know why that is. Maybe because their powers are a little bit more differentiated within Descent. Do you have that experience at all, or am I completely off base? Steel horns. Steel horns forever. That's right. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of my person I was playing. I don't know either. I'm sorry. It's probably a spellcaster, because that's how I always like to play. I think you are, yeah. And Clint was some sort of knife-throwing thief archer, or like that. thief, rogue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So I guess this brings up the important question. How do we actually conceptualize what is an RPG? Mm-hmm. Thinking back even to my background playing video games, sometimes they'll throw out, oh, this is an RPG game. What, what makes it a role-playing game? How am I actually, how is this different from like an, any other action sword-swinging game? You know what I mean? So, I mean, Tony, do you have a better idea of kind of how you conceptualize what embodies an RPG in general? Well, 
First of all, I was very um, disoriented, I guess, to a certain extent when I started playing again in the very late 90s um, with people who had played what they were calling RPGs. Mm -hmm. So when I met a group of gamers in my in my previous position at, at UW Platteville and people were talking about RPGs, I knew that they were playing tabletop role playing, but a lot of times they would be talking about Final Fantasy VII or something from Square Enix, you know, and that kind of floored me a little bit because it never, I never knew there were role playing games that were happening on computers, you know, and, and so there would be a, like you were saying before, expectations that they would bring to the table based on those experiences that I wouldn't be prepared at all to to satisfy having no background in it because I was in graduate school and doing other stuff when Super mm -hmm. Nintendo and that kind of stuff were, and even PlayStation were coming to the fore. So it was just very, I guess I was just a little bit disoriented with some of the talk that was going on. But when I think about what is an RPG, I, you know, having purchased a lot of role-playing games and, and read the forewords, the one that always sticks in my head is, I can't even tell you which, which game or games I might be directly quoting here, but it's an RPG is akin to a living novel is the, the most commonly read thread in my memory. And it's this idea, for me at least, that that we're going to be cooperatively telling a story. That Yeah, the person who is the game master, the person whose responsibility it is to determine what adventures the players are going to go on and what encounters they're going to face and what re rewards they're going to earn and, and how that's going to contribute to a larger narrative certainly plays a larger role in, in that narrative. But in my mind there's a balance or, or an interplay that goes on at the table where the game master is unfolding the events, but the, but the players are active roles in that story and their response to the events certainly contributes to the story, but may take the story in untold ways that the game master can't have planned for. Mm -hmm. But if that person is flexible and responsive and they take that, adventure down a, a different line altogether that they can all go through an experience of discovery where they're truly creating the story in a sense collaboratively that's what i try to achieve when i'm a dungeon master yeah. um, and i rankle a little bit nowadays with gms who they have the story that they want to tell and that that takes absolute precedence over all other decisions that, that bothers me um, more than it used to I think because I'm, I'm like you, I'm kind of looking for that storytelling experience where we're all sort of, uh, sit, you know, sitting around and, and, and evolving that tale, which I guess begs the question, well, why don't we all just sit around and tell each other a story? You know, mm -hmm. what, what, you know, what's the role and how important should mechanics be? But right. that's kind of where I'm But the GM from. has a big role in that because they mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. set the stage up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't think I'd want to play someone else's story necessarily without that flexibility. But even then based upon players' choices, you can still try to weave some of the aspects that maybe you, of the story that you would like to see unfold to a certain extent, mm -hmm. but by still being having that flexibility to inc incorporate what other people want to st the story to be as well. Again, kind of going tying things a little bit back to the board games that we played together. What was your impression of Mice and Mystics? I enjoyed it. I, f I, I thought that experience was fun. I, it was very much like a game. So in that sense, it was more or less what I expected. Mm -hmm. But I think I made the comment the other night after we played Pathfinder that I felt that I enjoyed playing Mice and Mystics more, but I felt more at home in Pathfinder mm -hmm. because of the terminology and, and sort of at least the, the labels that they were putting on the different mechanical aspects. So what I liked about Mice and Mystics was 
you know, okay, we're in this environment and we have some objectives that we want to accomplish and you're the healer mouse and I'm I'm the tank mouse, you know, mm-hmm. um, or I have this role and you have that role. So that was very familiar and comfortable to me. What I, what I liked about it, I, I guess, that I didn't care for as much in Pathfinder is I didn't feel like the mechanics were kind of rising up as such a significant component to that, to that game. Uh, in other words, I, we were rolling, you know, making making actions and determining outcomes, and there was a, a definitely a an experience that was unfolding based on the mechanics. But in Pathfinder, what I was experiencing was that other people at the table who were playing with us were more cognizant of things like what term what turn this is and what's going to happen by the end of the round. And it, there was there was definitely a board game or a tabletop game mechanic going on there that I wasn't paying any attention to from a lack of habit Mm -hmm. and so i kind of realized that i wasn't cluing in on the experience and the way other people were so i think i felt even though i felt somewhat familiar with the environment in pathfinder i felt a little bit less at home in that game than i did in my mystics if that makes any sense i shouldn't say at home because i said before i was at home i i felt less immersed okay and 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 honestly i kind of felt the same way with pathfinder being my first time I, I can see what it's trying to do with the whole you're exploring these locations, trying to see what you find and cover, like we we're trying to do the one, find the bandits, knock them, the, the henchmen out of the way, and then find the, the final boss and beat him. But it just it did come across as kind of gamey to a certain extent of, well, we've got to go wipe out these decks, clear them out, and then move on to the next one. And that's the problem I have with it. It can, come a, it can really have a real mechanical dry feel where, you know, you literally are just trying to assign people to the place where they're best at. Which is fine. It's fine, but then it's a lot of, you know, numbers crunching. You know, who has the best odds of doing this? What do we need to do to add to get your odds up? And I think, like you said, it does turn into a little more gamey, and it does kind of pull you out of the immersion that might be possible. And, you know, part of this may not be just the game. It may be, you know, I didn't put anything, as a person teaching the game, I didn't put a lot of effort into trying to, get people immersed in the game but yeah yeah i like that we'll blame jonathan (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think i think at the last round in our game of pathfinder that i had pretty much your your deck of cards is your life and i had drawn my last card in the previous round and right before uh, we essentially had two turns left it was Mm -hmm. you and then me john Mm -hmm. and i wasn't sure if i should contribute one of my blessing cards to help you out but if I did, that would mean I would die at the end of my turn because I would have used up and I wouldn't be able to refresh my hand. So, I, again, I think even there I was kind of gaming it a little bit. Like, well, I would want to help you in this case, but I know that's going to cost me staying alive in the game. And I've had situations in that game where I knew after I'd played a, a character for a couple of the games, I knew if I pushed too hard, I was going to die and then I'd lose all the progress I'd made. So, you know, I failed a mission and kind of eased up a little bit just because I had that feeling that I was going to die. And so I, you know, I replayed it and completed it eventually, but you know, that's a, it's not as though you escape those kinds of concerns in a tabletop RPG. You're not always necessarily facing a scenario where you can see a definite outcome based on a certain action, but there's definitely a time when you may be called on to make the ultimate sacrifice with your character. And, you know, different role players have a different attitude about this idea. Some people are only too happy to have a glorious death if it, you know, contributes to the to the party's overall success or if it's if it's an interesting part of the story. 
or if it just fits for their character that they were in a sense born to die that way. But I, like Jonathan, you know, I start looking at, hey, this is where I've been with this character and this is where I want to go with this character. And so if this encounter is going to ask me to invest more than I'm comfortable investing and risk that progress, I'm going to probably be a little bit resentful on some level about the danger that I'm putting myself in, which is probably not a good sportsmanship way of approaching a game. But, you know, you you, you invest a lot in your role and it becomes very important to you. And so you sort of on another level have to ask yourself, well, I know it's just a game, but how much is is losing too much for me to still in, have enjoyed this experience? Right. So, I mean, like I said, different players wrestle with that different ways. No, and I completely get that. And I think with Pathfinder, I was just thinking, you know, it kind of reminds me a little more of maybe like an online MMO type thing where you are trying to level up and improve your character. It kind of has more of that feeling. I think even somewhere in the rules or in the promotional materials, they talk about grinding your way up. If you're, if you got a character who's not caught up with everybody else, kind of grinding. Mm-hmm. And I did that the other day. We, uh, Joel, my middle son, and I, we played. He'd played two characters, and I'd run one character. And we completed the first whole adventure cycle. And then I was thinking, you know, I really would like another character to run, and I'd really like a healer because we didn't have a healer in our group. And so I took, I took a cleric and started it from the beginning and ran it through like eight missions and I failed a couple of them a couple times. So all together, I probably paid, played 10 games solo with just that character and my other character just kind of as support and ran them through, grinded all the way through. And of course, by the time I was done with that, after doing that for a couple of days, I was kind of like, all right, I'm done with this game now. Yeah. Thought just occurred to me because I mean, in Mice and Mystics, you can play that as a campaign if you wish to, or you can do the one-off chapters, right? Yeah. Pathfinder, there's the campaign. Yeah. And then with RPGs, essentially, that's what you're doing. You're playing a campaign. But I, I'm kind of curious, like, for example, in, in Pathfinder, if you fail, are there any consequences or you just have to replay the whole thing? You have to replay the mission. If your character dies, you lose everything you have and everybody else can loot your body, which is really nice. Mm. <laughs> so well, same thing in my Mystics. If you fail, you have to go back and play the chapter again. So I, I think I like the idea of, well, okay, we failed this mission what are the consequences that's going to allow us to carry on and keep the story going? Yeah. But again, because it's a board game and it has a little bit more restrictive structure to it, perhaps, it's a little bit harder to accommodate something like that. But I love the idea of doing a campaign where, okay, I failed. We get to keep going, but there are consequences that follow us because we failed that mission. You should try uh, Imperial Assault because the great thing about that is, you know, whoever wins that adventure, and of course this is not obviously not true role-playing either, but we've got a more of an adversarial relationship there in that game, but whoever wins that gets to uh, pick the next mission and gets And that's the element I've really outcome. I've enjoyed that element of Imperial Assault, but even there's the Agents of Smirsh. There's that storytelling board game. Which, there's a, a game called Tales of Arabian Nights, which essentially is, some people will argue it's not a board game because it's really just kind of, you're going to get together, there's a big old book with different encounters that you have, and you go around the board and you compare some numbers and you figure out what page in the book to reference, you look it up, okay, here's the here's what happened to you here, now choose how you're going to respond and you consult this response chart based upon the particular scenario, and you choose kind of a one word, here's what I'm going to do, or am I going to rob the person, am I going to help them, am I going to run away, what am I going to do? And then you turn in the book and find, here's the outcome of that. And so there's really not a whole lot of... Game? Well, I mean, 
<laughs> the goal, I think the goal of the game is to go out there and just have the experience. Yes. You know, it's almost like letting the story happen to you to a certain extent. You still get to choose, but again, you don't really have a whole lot of control over what happens because it's kind of ambiguous. But Agents of Smirsh, there's actually, it's a spy-themed storytelling game, essentially. Same thing. You have the Book of Encounters, but there's a new campaign they put out. Uh, it was part of the second edition printing. I think it was called Agents of Smirsh Showdown, and essentially it's a campaign because normally in Agents of Smirsh, you're going against Dr. Lobo and his henchmen, but you never actually fight Dr. Lobo. And this one, you actually are going head-to-head with him. And whenever you fail one of your, your scenarios, it has consequences for the future scenarios that you play through. So I like that element. And I think it's one thing that RPGs do is that, okay, well, we completely botch this up, but the story keeps going. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious. You actually decided to buy Mice and Mystics. Yeah. What made you come to that conclusion that that was something you would want to actually own? I think knowing a little bit more about what kind of game it was as opposed to what kind of game it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Because I have played games like Talisman and HeroQuest that are definitely board games, Mm -hmm. but have that fantasy aspect. And they have a little bit of at least enough variability that every experience isn't necessarily going to be the same. Mm -hmm. That and I kind of have your problem. Okay. <laughs> um, in that I'm extremely susceptible to really lovely graphics and illustrations in yeah. games. What was the game? Was it Orchard? Oh, Arboretum. Arboretum. Just a beautiful game. And if they made playing cards in that style, um, <laughs> I would definitely have a deck to, to play Solitaire or whatever with. And I'm not above you know, playing Arboretum again. Jonathan is. <laughs> yeah, just, I am. It's just, it's just gorgeous. And Mice and Mystics is the same way. I mean, I, I could just sit there and peruse the, the, the graphics and look through the book, I mean, uh, and enjoy myself. But it has a fun, it's fun to play. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I don't regret that purchase at all. And I'll probably pick up Pathfinder because some of the things that Jonathan is describing in terms of, you know, acquisition and, and refining and leveling your character, that's old hat for me. And I enjoy it. So I could see myself having a good time with that. I think next um, with you guys, I'll either insist that I get a chance to try Lord of the Rings, Living Card Game, or possibly Imperial Assault. You better be careful. Jonathan has in his bag. He's going to bust it out right now in the podcast. <laughs> in my bag. <laughs> well, if there's anything I've been doing longer than D&D, it's reading Tolkien. So. Yeah. I'm kind of cognizant of what I'm hearing that it's very much a card and respond to this card kind of game, but the Tolkien theme and I'm definitely, I don't have an aversion to card games. I did play a little bit of Magic the Gathering and I actually have Middle Earth, the Wizards, which was the first attempt at a, at a collectible card game for Lord of the Rings. So uh, I'll be looking forward to giving it a shot sometime. And again, I'm just ecstatic that you're willing to put your distaste of board games aside. But again, I don't think you're going to go out and buy a game that's uh, has a lot more perhaps the tactical mm-hmm. elements or the long-term strategy elements with a little bit of a drier theme to it. Yeah, I suffer in tactical games including games like even chess because I just cannot think moves ahead. It gets too convoluted and I lose my concentration. Lords of Waterdeep should be right in my wheelhouse based on its themes, but glancing at them playing that the other night and seeing what kind of game it is i don't believe i'll be purchasing that one yeah you know again it's thematically right where i want it to be but it's apparently a kind of game mechanic that i don't believe i would have a lot of affinity for yeah it's been interesting to to branch out and and experience different things but i think not everything's going to be oh sure absolutely i mean when i talk about my troubled past with board games i'm talking about mainstream games and and how a game like monopoly could 
can start seeming like a lot of fun for the family, but can just turn absolute cutthroat, <laughs> you know, inside of half an hour. And I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy that level of strife and, and competition in interpersonal relationships or games or just about anything. Right. I know some people are competitive and they thrive on it and they don't take it personally and it's all good natured. And I would like to be one of those people, but that's just not my nature. And I've mentioned this to Jonathan before, and he kind of looks at me and says, well, that's kind of sad. But <laughs> I've, I felt like I've been shifting away from the competitive games myself. I still like a game, but I don't want something that's super heavy in terms of something that has a lot of complexity to it. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm being drawn more towards the cooperative side of things, which isn't a good thing because my wife Jacqueline she likes the competitive aspect she wants to beat me that's her mission she wants to beat the gamer but she doesn't enjoy the cooperative aspects so I have to find people that are willing to go on those adventures with me I'm having a similar experience in role-playing I'm increasingly disinterested in lengthy mechanics big encounters lots of opponents because five people sitting around a table with a dungeon master fighting a room full of bad guys, whatever they might be, that can be a large portion of the night. And I can see that there are other people at my table who enjoy that. You know, they want to know what's going to happen next round. And if they, are they going to hit? Are they going to miss? But I just feel like we're being sucked into a mire and the game is turning into, and I don't want to upset anyone with this comparison, but I don't know why we couldn't be playing Monopoly at that point. <laughs> because it, that, it it's at a level where the mechanics have taken such a role that I feel like who I am doesn't matter anymore as a character. Mm -hmm. My decisions don't matter. It's all tactics and luck. And I just get disconnected and, and even resentful sometimes at how long it's taking. And so in Dungeons and Dragons, there's a, you know, an old trope called the dungeon crawl where, you know, your party goes underground and there may be 148 rooms down there and if you really do it old school, you've got to check every door for locks and traps and fight every encounter and uh, turn over every stone. And I'm just not as interested in that as, as even the idea makes me feel. I mean, I'm, it's, that's a, it's an old habit, you know, that somebody says dungeon crawl and then I get excited on some level. But as soon as I start thinking now about what that's going to entail, I start getting immediately tired and I start thinking about, why couldn't why couldn't Dungeons and Dragons be a little bit more like Mice and Mystics? We're going to do this adventure, and there are going to be four major encounters, huh. and we're going to have an objective in each one of these encounters. And when that's done, we're going to have completed a leg of this campaign and have some tangible rewards. I'm starting to think more in those terms of a narrative that connects three or four discrete events, and then, for lack of a better term, a boss fight mm -hmm. that advances the story. That's interesting. Now, I, I, I know we've talked about things that you've liked have were there things about pathfinder and my mystics that you just didn't really care for that much i think what you refer to as a certain gaminess yeah yeah when we reached that point and everybody at the table was conscious and i had become aware of the fact that jonathan had turned over the last turn card and it was now or never mm -hmm. suddenly i could see the wheels in your head you know do i sacrifice my character or can i do this and you know, you you were able to devise a solution ultimately with the cooperation of the people at the table that that literally pulled the the objective we needed off at the very last. I mean, I had the last round in the game, mm -hmm. and so it 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 worked out 
just great, but it, it, you know what I mean? It turned into a very tactical meditation. Yes. Like, what am I going to do here? And at that moment, I felt really disconnected because I felt like we were just negotiating a mechanic and then all of the other elements had just kind of fallen away. And I could totally see why a gamer would love that. Yeah. I'm just not that gamer. Absolutely. That's why I'm so fascinated, knowing what you enjoy with the RPG side and then trying to figure out, is there anything within board games that would be appealing to you? Kind of interesting that you enjoy the RPG elements, but the board game side just hasn't been your thing, really. Yeah, we, friends and I, revisited an old an old friend and played Talisman. Um, and this is one of a, of a small number of games that I actually have some facility and some, some affinity with. So I was able to apply my old methodology and and to eke out a victory in this game and in a sense be the mvp you know but again i've been playing it off and on since 1986 (laughs) or something like that but you know again i i was immersing myself in my role and Mm -hmm. and in the environment as much as i could and not even trying to pay too much attention to the mechanics so i know that you had asked if there are things that i that i'm not enjoying but yeah yeah i when i find myself having to think tactically and when i find myself having to think extremely practically about things i do tend to get a little bit frustrated i'm more interested in mood and nuance and uh and that kind of thing so maybe maybe i'm maybe gaming isn't what i should be doing maybe i should be doing plays or something but uh, <laughs> yeah. at any rate well there's that shakespeare board game coming out right yeah it looks pretty cool actually i just saw rich's tweet and uh looked at it looks neat very cool so i was kind of curious if you had any other questions for us in particular I'm and I'm very I'm intensely curious because this is a whole new world for me. I mean, I don't I can't I don't understand why I have why I've listened to eleven episodes of a, of a game, <laughs> board game podcast, but I but I tune in every week and I look forward to it and I enjoy it every time. I mean, I'm I mean, you know I'm, as a philosopher, I'm intensely curious in questions like when is a board game no longer a board game? Mm-hmm. You know, the the Arabian Nights game that you were game in quotes that you were just mm-hmm. describing there is that you know you were saying some people don't consider that as much a game or uh, right you know so when you know is is poker a board game because pathfinder is a card game well some people will have very structured set definitions of this is a card game this is a board game i just lump them all together in my mind that i mean it's a tabletop game but again that even is going to incorporate rpgs right but I, for me personally, I, I kind of lump together card games and board games together. I'll refer to card games as board games all the time. So there are some people who are very adamant that, oh, no, this is something different. And I'm, so I'm kind of interested in the question of when does a board game become more of an RPG? When can an RPG seem like more of a board game? And is there a way that somebody like you and somebody like me could even strike a balance so that... Kickstarter! <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think it's going to take a few million dollars of research <laughs> to, to find a way to, to, to uh, accentuate those things that we like and to minimize some of the things we don't. And, There'll be lots of beautiful plastic minis, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, can you think of any games that maybe tap into that, bring in that little bit more of the RPG element within board games? I mean, I mean, I just go back to playing Hero Quest and just that kind of try to kind of capture a little bit of that role playing thing as you're, you know, doing a scenario and moving around the board. But it was still a board game too. So yeah, there there have been some games that I feel that are the def- definitively board games that I think maybe aren't storytelling games, but they do some things that are able to tell stories. For example, with Robinson Crusoe, since, since Clint's not here, I feel like I have yes. to do my contractual obligation to mention Robinson Crusoe. But Ignacy's very 
um, he's the designer of the game, and he is very big on this idea of games that tell stories. And so while Robinson Crusoe is not a storytelling game, there's not a set story. There's a scenario you're playing. But it's really the choices you make, the consequences when you succeed or fail, the things you find by chance on the island, and the stories that we construct as we're playing it. That's what I find so fascinating about his games is that, again, there's not a set story necessarily. He gives us a scenario, and then the encounters that we have kind of flesh out the story if you want to have that experience. Yeah, and that's one that, you know, I really enjoy because it is definitely Euro. Um, it can't be denied that has very strong Euro elements, but it has that storytelling and that theme. And there's those couple times that we've played where I was really invested in the game and felt like, like I could see the story of our little group playing out on the island and right. barely surviving. We, you know, we would have died from a snake bite or something the last turn and just, had, you know, it's been a lot of blah. It's but been you a lot know, of fun. You play as a role, like you might be the cook, but I never feel like I'm playing as the cook necessarily i mean you have special abilities that come into play but i never feel like i'm in fully embodying that role that i would as if i was playing you know a wizard in dungeons and dragons or something like that Mm -hmm. That, that's what's been really interesting is kind of trying to find that element but again i i feel like within board games there has been a bit of a surge in terms of trying to develop games that have more story elements to them do you feel like that's been something that you've noticed jonathan yeah i totally agree i mean just from the Kickstarter campaign of Above and Below, I mean, just that little bit of the storytelling, you know, where you send your people out to explore, they have a, some kind of a random encounter, and then you decide what you're going to do, and that's going to affect your game and your little colony that you've been growing. Is that out yet? It needs to be out now. I'm ready to play is it, it. Is it here yet? Well, I'm interested in this Shakespeare game. I'll have to give it, that a look. I really don't know a whole lot about it. It was just recently announced. Well, you can see how I can be lured by just a one, <laughs> one proper noun. Maybe all it takes It's some decent artwork that I'm in. I think you might like the artwork. So We're coming to the segment that I'm dreading, aren't we? We are. Okay. <laughs> it is now time for us to do the punch list. This is the segment where one of us presents a general category, some criteria of games in general, and then we have to pick a game that we deem punch-worthy. It may not be the best game, but a game that we consider a favorite. Now, because Tony is not as immersed in the world of board games as Jonathan and myself... Drawing from a shallow pool. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to broaden it out a bit. So, for this response, you can talk about a particular RPG. It could be a board game. It could be whatever you want. So, for today's punch list, and since you guys have no idea what I'm going to ask you... Here's what it is. What game has immersed you the most? I don't think I'm going to take Jonathan's, but you never know. I go back to my first game of Dead of Winter. Because in that game, again, it's a zombie game, but it's really not about the zombies. It's about the people and the crossroads cards. Whenever it's not your turn, someone else has a crossroads card. And they're going to watch and scrutinize everything that you do to make sure you do or do not do the criteria set at the top of that card. Because if you do what it says, it triggers this scenario. And the first time I played it, I just felt like, oh my gosh, if I were in this situation, what would I do? And it was just the uncertainty of, is there a betrayer among us? Am I going to let these poor orphan children die or am I going to take them in because I I know they're going to be more mouths I have to feed but do I feel okay about myself doing that it is so easy to play that game 
playing up the gaming elements. I think if you try to put yourself in that role, that if I were actually in this situation, would I say, no kids, you're on your own, you're going to tough it out, or bring them back and make our struggles a little bit harder. So for me, Dead of Winter does a really great job of being a board game. Definitely has a lot of structure to it, but again, you're going out and you're exploring. You're going to the gas station, you're trying to find gasoline, because you need to do that to accomplish some goal that you have. But Burning even, zombies. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, you can do different things with, there's different crises that you have to take care of each round. And so you have to contribute cards, like, okay, we're going to have a crisis. If we don't put five gasoline cards into our pile, then this horrible thing is going to happen. But the betrayer, if there is one, we don't know, may sneak a card in there that's not gasoline, which counts against our total, and if that could just kind of trigger the horrible thing that we're trying to avoid. But even like when you're going to the gas station and you're digging around, you might find a gun, you know? Because maybe the clerk had a gun tucked underneath the counter or something like that. So it's just kind of a really interesting experience. But again, those crossroads cards, and I feel like I'm very immersed when I try to take it from a perspective of if I were actually in this scenario, what would I do as opposed to, well, from a gameplay perspective, well, I think it's the best choice. Yeah, you've been a good um, ambassador for that game in, in so far as you've created some cognitive dissonance in me because I, I want to try it. But at the same time, I feel some dread. And that means that you have done a nice job of communicating that I'm, when I'm in it, I'm going to be feeling the burn of feeling the pressure of making good decisions and sort of kind of living and dying with the ebb and flow or the good fortune, bad fortune or good outcomes, bad outcomes. So I think we're going to go there uh, someday, <laughs> but I, I might need to you know take my time. getting. We'll build you up to it. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a great experience. I've really enjoyed it quite a bit. The, the one thing that you may not like about that is, I mean, if you are a betrayer, you obviously are competing against the other people. But also there's the element, there's an overall objective that everyone must accomplish for ever, for the team to win. But you also have a private objective that you must accomplish. Because if the overall end game's condition is met, we flip over our private objectives. And if you haven't met it, well, you lost. Everyone else who did meet their personal objective wins. So there's still that sort of competition to a certain extent. But usually whenever I play, I... And I know Jonathan plays this very differently. But if I can't make my personal objective, I won't be like, ah, forget everyone else. You're all going down with me. I'll actually sacrifice myself to make sure that I know that everyone else can still meet the overall objective. Wait, wait a minute now. So now I'm the person who won't sacrifice myself? I can't recall a time that you have. <laughs> that is a sacrifice. Wow. Wow. <laughs> You're the guy that would like hoarding guns and wouldn't give everybody any of them. And it wasn't even one of your conditions. That's what I love about that game. It it makes me, it puts me in a, a different frame of mind. And I, I want to echo what Sean said, especially when we first started playing it, playtesting it actually. I remember the first time we had to make the decision, are we going to bring this horse back with us or are we going to kill this horse and eat it? It really was a hard ethical decision for me. It really put me in there. Now I've kind of lost a little bit of my uh, edge and my sympathy and stuff. And now I'm a little bit more cutthroat in that game. And now I've started stockpiling guns even when I don't even need guns. But it it's interesting how that game kind of affects me. And so I, I think that's a great choice, Sean. Well, I hope you can learn to appreciate Jonathan's sacrifice uh, becoming so hard-bitten. <laughs> because clearly he's making a sacrifice. <laughs> Jonathan, do you have a game? Dead of Winter is a great choice. I think Robinson Crusoe is a great choice. I really have a hard time picking a board game that 
is better than either one of those for putting me in, in that thematic mood, helping me experience the story. So I would probably go back to just playing some version of D&D. I haven't played since AD&D or second edition or something like that. It's been a long time. But I mean, just the memories I have of those adventures and, you know, really investing myself in a character. I don't want to call myself a min-maxer, but I definitely like to be good at something as a character. Had a lot of fun kind of developing different ideas of characters, and I always wanted to put a little twist on them of who they were, you know, and, and try to figure out just an idea of who I wanted that character to become and what kind of role I wanted them to play. And that's something that the board games can't totally capture. That would be a great question. Is it possible for a board game to ever even remotely get close to the storytelling that an RPG can accomplish? But I don't know. That's maybe a maybe a deeper time if we want to go a little bit more philosophical. Um, once I do. We get... <laughs> I know we do. We'll have to get you some more games under your belt, and we'll come back on. We'll talk about the philosophy of board games. So um, I can't really think of like a particular. You know, I just remember one campaign uh, where I, had, I just had a. I think it was a half elf thief, maybe or something. And I just remember really enjoying that character and having a friend who, who drew a little portrait of that character as he's balancing a dagger on his finger and just <laughs> i just can so clearly see that you know he really that character just really stuck with me great all right tony well i think jonathan's actually managed to scoop me <laughs> i'm sorry i was no, af- no, no, i no. was afraid that that might no 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 that's fine i mean uh because obviously your memories and mine are different although they they both involve a half elf um yeah i was i was gonna say dungeons and dragons as well i can specifically remember the the module we were playing i even think i'm i'm safe in saying it was 1986 for a few moments in the game i stepped outside of the proverbial inn Mm -hmm. and i i could feel the wind on my face i could see the wind in the grass at night i could smell the air it was Mm -hmm. It was what they call a stage moment, you know, for <laughs> actors. I mean, I was just, I was that character for a few seconds there, and it's vivid to me right now. So in a sense, it wasn't D&D. It was just that bizarre melange of all of this, all of the things coming together at that right moment. But that's forever for me going to be the moment when role-playing was most alive to me. Mm-hmm. But I will, uh, so I don't echo Jonathan too much, I, I'll go back to mention Call of Cthulhu, because... That, too, was an extremely immersive and vivid experience for me. I mean, I knew my character was wearing this kind of tweed coat, and I was researching this in the dusty library and reading old newspapers, and I was having a ball. And then, you know, and I don't even remember precisely what happened, but I looked out the window and there was an eldritch horror staring back at me, and 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 the wheels just came off the cart, and we all (laughs) wiped. And I was so just dumbfounded, you know, I mean... I'd been having this great time and everything screeched to this horrendous halt. <laughs> and so to this day, I, I want to be able to recreate that noir, mm-hmm. you know, I'm at Miskatonic U and I'm looking up this old information. I mean, when you talk about it, it makes me want to do it. When I think about it, it makes me want to do it. But at the same time, I'm carrying around this ire about the Call of Cthulhu game and how I will never play it again because of what <laughs> happens, you know, uh, to, to people who, you know, you reach those highs and then and then you find those lows. So, um, yeah, no, I, I don't think I can. I mean, a video games, obviously, but I don't think I can point to the time I was playing HeroScape and I was the warrior or whatever. I mean, definitely had a lot of fun playing games like that, but. I, for me, it has to be role playing. So thanks for letting me include that. No, in that absolutely, category. absolutely. And that's something I'm just really, actually, very fascinated by is those moments when you actually feel like you are embodying the character. 
and that you are that person. I mean, I know it's just you're using your imagination quite a bit. And I think that in some board games, I think that if you choose to go into it, you could play up the RPG elements. There are actually some games I think that can be better if you get more into your role. Eldritch, Eldritch, Elder Sign, Elder Sign. Elder Sign. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Uh huh. You love Elder Sign. <laughs> but I mean, like, one like, I have played, I might say. You have. Yeah. You have. One time. But like Clint, the night that he was uh, the jazz player, and he was going on. Don't worry, I'll fight off a monster with my smooth jazz. <laughs> He's be bopping and scatting <laughs> all over the place. So, I mean, you can play up, and I think it can be fun if the group wants to go into that. You're not going to have the same sort of role-playing experience you're going to get in a classic RPG, but I think there are some games that are trying to do that. I mentioned this, I think I don't remember actually who I mentioned it to. There's a game I backed on Kickstarter forever ago. It's uh, I think I've even mentioned it on here before. It was originally called uh, Story Realms, but because of some legal stuff, it's now called Storm Hollow. And it, they actually refer to it as a storyboard game. So it actually tries to marry RPG elements with some board game elements, but it has lots of like books and like, like they're gonna print them in hardback and all that. It's gonna be really nice whenever I'm, it actually gets done but it's actually designed more for families generally mm-hmm. to try to introduce the idea of rpgs to kids but still having a good time as a family and all that is this really coming out uh yes okay i i still have faith i'm, I'm holding the faith will you lose subscribers if i talk about how to host a, a murder no <laughs> <laughs> i hope not no i mean I, that is, you just made me think of that though as and, you know there are no in sense no mechanics to it at all mm-hmm. um and yet it's not purely a role-playing game either for that reason right uh, or maybe it is purely a role-playing game maybe more so than others where you know somebody's dead and somebody did it and you guys have to find out who but i don't know i did i just oh no see the thing is i want to find a game that does that well mm-hmm. since our colleague david is actually uh leaving us here uh he uh actually he gave me his a copy of his to host a murder thing he's like you know it's really really cheesy but i would love to find something where you're actually a good mystery where you actually have to take on your role and you go around and you try to figure out who done it or whatever. Well, we, we can do that one evening here after hours and get Arthur to flash the lights for lightning and <laughs> <laughs> somebody will think we're having a lights a light switch rave down the hall. There you go. <laughs> so, all right, I think that's going to bring the conclusion of episode number twelve of the Punched and Played podcast. I'd like to thank our guest Anthony Valentine for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. I, I really, enjoy, I do really enjoy your podcast. Well, you guys I'm are doing I, a great job. So. I really appreciate it. And again, I'm still frankly amazed that you're still listening to us, given that you don't really care for board games that much. But well, it's, it's changing. Great. Fantastic. But as always, you can find us on Facebook. You can like us on Twitter at Punch Played. You can also visit us at our website at punchedandplayed.com. So until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. <laughs> <laughs>